Hello everyone. Welcome to Math for Knitters. I'm your host, Lara. I hope you're doing well today. Um, this is this is episode 37, and it's pretty early in the morning, <laughs> so I'm not 100% awake, but I did want to get a show out uh, this week, and I got held up yesterday, so here I am. I got a question from Leela on Ravel- Ravelry about uh, cables. Um, she's been having problems putting a ribbing edge on a cabled garment. Of course, cables pull in your knitting a fair amount, and so do so does ribbing, but to a different degree. And I guess her question was kind of if there was a mathy way to um, see how they would work together. Uh, there isn't really. Um, Sometimes the only way to know what's going to happen is to try it. And this is another reason that it can be so useful to do a nice big gauge swatch. I cannot emphasize enough, especially on an edging. Um, With the sweater I just made, I was originally uh, going to do a seed stitch edging. um, But it's a twisted stitch pattern, which is basically a teeny tiny cable pattern. And it didn't work at all. The um, seed stitch just wasn't tight enough, even on very, very much smaller needles. So then I I did a a swatch with ribbing, and my plan was for to not pull in too much. And but I ended up using the golden yarn all the way till the end, and then hemming it in black, doing a plain stockinette hem. And the way I did that was I picked up stitches using black and then I worked a um, a turning row so on the wrong side on the inside of the sweater I actually did a knit row which is the same thing as doing a purl row while your knitting is facing you on the right side and what that does is it makes a really clean edge that it turns on and um, if you wanted a fancier edge you could do a pico edge which is where instead of your turning row being either just a plain knit or a plain purl, then you do yarn over knit two together all the way across on the right side. And when you fold that down, it actually sticks out a little bit. There are little points wherever you have the knit two together. It's really quite cute and it's, it's great for a little girl's outfit or even for a hat him. I... I just think it's really adorable. But basically, in order to see how two different stitches are going to line up, either vertically or horizontally, um, like for instance, for a the front of a cardigan, you just have to try it. And I would say you do a big swatch, and you wash it, and you block it, and you let it dry, and then you see if you like the effect that the things have on each other I tend to take notes of exactly what I've done and if I do more than one swatch and I usually do I mark them swatch number one swatch number two (laughs) so swatch number one is the one with the um, seed stitch and swatch number two is the one with the ribbing and it also gives you a chance to try different needle sizes for your main pattern and also for me I learn the pattern. Most patterns that I make are not complex enough 
that I absolutely have to read for the pattern stitch every time. I, I learn kind of the internal logic of the of the stitch. Like for instance, the panels are about eight stitches wide and when I when I have done this, next I do this. And I kind of learn it a little bit as an if-then loop. Um, for those of you who ever used basic, I I way overuse if-then if then loops. I guess that's just the way my brain works. I like to say, you know, for instance, like if it's Tuesday, I wear cowboy boots, for example. <laughs> so if I've just twisted to the right, I then twist to the left. Um, it's kind of how my brain likes to remember um, orders of operations. So it's just uh, something that works for me. Something else might work for you. Um, but basically there isn't a mathematical formula for everything in knitting. And sometimes you just have to experiment. And I think that's where Elizabeth Zimmerman's unvention technique is so valuable that she uses arithmetic and math and architecture to put a framework on things, but then you also just have to try it. It's just one of those things. Um, so, sorry, Leela, I can't be more help. Um, I'm, I don't know if it's Layla or Leela, too. I'm sorry. That's the only drawback to email, in my opinion, is that you have a very difficult time telling how to say people's names. <laughs> Although I've noticed in regular life, most people um, don't bother to pronounce unusual names uh, the way they should be. But, so that's, uh, I think that might be, let's see, let me see what else I've got here. Um, Angelfire212 and I are kind of cooking up an idea for, um, for a sweater. And she's going to email me the specs that she wants, and I'm going to talk through the design process as if I were making the sweater for myself. And who knows, I might make it. <laughs> I have a lot of red yarn. I have a lot of worsted and sport weight red yarn. So I might, I might just make a red sweater. Right now I'm knitting something really small that's lace that hopefully won't take me very long. And... Yeah, after that, I can go back to sweaters. <laughs> if it isn't 100,000 degrees here yet. Um, let's see, I have another question here from Katilo, who has the cutest little, um, I think people call them ravatars. And Ravelry, you have a, a profile photo. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's adorable. It's a little black cat, and it's drawn, and it has kind of purple eyes. And it's knitting a little piece of pink knitting. It's just adorable. I mean, it, it, sounds, it doesn't sound so great, but it is so cute. I, I wonder if she drew it herself. Um, my avatar is my little kitty cat, Travis. And I get lots of compliments on how cute he is. And I, I get very excited when people say that as if I had anything to do with how cute he is. <laughs> like my other cat's really big. And when we moved from... Michigan to South Dakota, I I actually put him on a leash and walked him around sometimes so he could get some exercise. And at the rest stops, people would be like, God, that's a big cat. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And I'd be all proud. Like, I made him a big cat, which I guess I did by feeding him too much. But 
anyway, <laughs> a little side note for you there. Sorry. Um, what she says, her name's, uh, well, her name, her real name is Katrina. And she says that she's knitting a sweater from the bottom up without a pattern. And she knows how to figure out gauge and how many stitches to cast on to fit a particular person. Um, and she understands about shaping. What I don't get is how do you figure the shaping stitches for the arms? How big a space do you leave for the armhole? How do you figure the stitches for shaping the sleeve as it goes up to the shoulder? The general region of shaping a sweater still baffles me. Well, um, Katrina, that depends on what kind of sweater you're making. Probably the easiest for this is the raglan. And if you look up any of Elizabeth Zimmerman's books, she, she usually has several shoulder shaping options. And she tends to make her sweaters from the bottom up. Um, I believe she says that that way you can do the donkey work, she calls it, of the main body of the sweater while you are dreaming away about the shoulder shaping. And I agree, it is very intimidating, um, especially at first. And I've actually never made a sweater. Wait, let me think. No, I've never, I've never actually made an adult-sized sweater from the bottom up. Oh wait, no, it's not true. No, it's not true. I made a, I made a huge, um, two-color sweater from the bottom up with steaks. Um, and in that case, all you, all I did was, um, knit the thing to the top as a tube and then cut the steaks. So that was a little different, but basically there are, um, the, the, one of the great advantages of the Elizabeth Zimmerman, uh, system is that she has what she calls EPS, which is the Elizabeth percentage system, where you have your um, percentages, your, your other sizes as a percentage of your chest uh, measurement. So your depth for your armholes is usually, I think, about 40% of your chest measurement. Um, that's all the way around. That's not back and front. And I believe the traditional fisherman's sweater it might be closer to 50% um, to allow for more move, movement of the arms. And it's one of those things I think you might read up a little bit on and, and also some of its personal taste. I like a little larger arm um, because I have large arms. But I measure, what I've done is I've taken a sweater that fit me really well already, like a commercial sweater that I owned and measured it very carefully. And that's how I decided how deep to make my arms, how, you know, where to put the decreases for the sleeves, where to put my waist shaping, all of those things. And I think that's generally a, an accepted practice and it works really well. Um, so I would try that. I, I mean, those hard and fast numbers will only work for you when they're your numbers. Um, in fact, a lot of the EPS system has been updated now by Meg Swanson, uh, Elizabeth's daughter, because the f fitting back then was much tighter. Like people liked much tighter sh uh, sweaters than they wear now. Like this, the sleeves I feel are, are very small um, for for today's standards, and I think maybe also people were a bit smaller. But well, I know they were, <laughs> but. Um, 
they're basically, once again, the answer is that it's not, there isn't really a hard and fast answer. There's the right answer for you. And you're going to discover that by measuring your own sweaters or your own body. Um, there's a fantastic section in Big Girl Knits about measuring and sizing and making sweaters that really flatter your figure. And I think that's invaluable too. So just go for it. And um, I know that first sweater uh, can be really scary, but the good news is um, after your first sweater, there's your second and your third and your fourth. And each time I make a sweater, I, I do take careful notes of what I did and what measurement I was going for and what measurement I ended up with because sometimes they're not the same thing, unfortunately. And so the next sweater, I can use the knowledge I gained on the sweater I just made for, to make the next one even better, to make the next one fit even better, to make the next one have a slightly different shape. For instance, on the most recent sweater I did, I actually made the sleeves a little bit shorter. Um, I think technically they would be considered a little too short, but I really like them. They're, I guess they'd be a bracelet length. They're kind of in between a three-quarter and a full-length sleeve because um, when I make what I would consider a full-length sleeve, I end up having to roll it back when I eat because I do tend to, I don't really put ribbing as, as much anymore on my sweaters, and so they don't cling to my wrist. And so when I eat, if I have a regular length sleeve, um, it, if I don't roll it back, it goes into my food. <laughs> so um, I, I was making the sweater I just made as something that I wouldn't want to do that for. I wouldn't want to take it off, and I wouldn't want to roll it back in order to, to do things like eat or knit. And so... Instead, I just made them a little bit shorter, and it worked for me. And um, But really, it's a question of personal taste and what you like and how you like things to fit. And that's all going to be something that you can learn from either trial and error, error or from measuring yourself, or, f or really ideally from measuring a sweater that you have that fits quite well and is hopefully similar in thickness to the sweater you're trying to make. That is the one caveat to measuring a sweater you already have. If you're measuring a very, very thin, fine gauge sweater, you need to add a little more ease if you're making a thicker sweater, like a worsted weight or bulky sweater, um, because that affects, the thickness of the yarn affects the fit of the garment. It's gonna need a, to be a little bigger if it's a bigger yarn um, to fit. Uh, I think that the example I've used before, and I think I got this from Elizabeth Zimmerman too, is that th that's because it actually decreases the inside of the sweater when you have thicker thicker wool. So for instance, if you imagined yourself wrapping a foam mattress around yourself, which would be like a humongous gauge sweater, then you would get an idea that you would need more mattress than you would need if you were using, for instance, something thin like a bed sheet um, in order to have it fit around you comfortably. So, yeah, there you go. Um, that's the show. Uh, the rerun today is number 28, and I hope you're all having a pleasant May. It, it's May of 2008 now. So, all right. Uh, I will talk to you later. Goodbye. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Math for Knitters. This is Laura. Once again, it's been a long time, and I really appreciate everybody's emails and comments of support, and I am really excited about doing this show, um, partly because I have great news. <laughs> uh, I finished the gray sweater that I mentioned on the blog 
last night. And actually, somebody had asked me if I could do a show about blocking and finishing. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the way that I finish and block sweaters. So this sweater, um, it's in a stitch pattern called uh, Dragon Skin. It's from Barbara Walker's, I believe it's the second treasury. And I designed it kind of from scratch with some input from some women in my knitting group. Of uh, I used Barbara Walker's um, top-down book as kind of a starting point, and I made a very small um, saddle shoulder across the top of the shoulder because the way this pattern is, it's very um, vertical. So just a small vertical strip and then picked up the shoulders. And it's one of those projects, I wasn't really sure how it was gonna work out. I used the same waist shaping as I used on the blue sweaters last year. Yes, I did make two of them as <laughs> I way overbought on the yarn and made two sweaters. But this is my first top down that was not a raglan. And man, I just loved it from day one. It was so much fun to work on. And the stitch pattern was interesting without being too hard. And I'd actually used it before for my sister's wedding afghan. I made her a queen-sized afghan when she got married out of um, seven panels, one really big one and three on each side that were the same. So this was one of the panels I put in for um, strength and longevity because I figure that dragons are pretty strong and they probably live for a little while. So I... Um, I'd always really loved the pattern, and I thought I had this gray yarn that I bought last year when my local yarn shop, Athena Fibers, was um, having a clearance sale because they stopped carrying this particular kind of yarn. It's 100% wool yarn. I believe it's called Galway. Yeah, it's basically worsted weight yarn, and I worked it on size 7 needles and 5s for the edgings, and instead of a ribbed edge, I used um, moss stitch. And I'm just really pleased with it. I'll have photos on the blog. And the way I approach finishing is I basically want to do as little finishing as possible. And it isn't because I don't like finishing, although I don't. <laughs> it's really because I, I feel like there's nothing more satisfying than just casting off and maybe doing in a few ends. Although I do try to make myself do in the ends as I go and being done. Um... It's just nice. And also, I, I feel like I'm not really much of a seamstress. And so when I need to, need to sew seams, I actually use my favorite technique now for seams, if they don't need to be really um, invisible, is actually from a book called Greetings from the Knit Cafe. There's a sideways knit baby sweater in that book. And you knit it, you knit the whole thing in one piece, and then you sew the shoulders, um, which actually is the entire sleeve on the top of the sleeve. But instead of sewing it, you actually pick up um, all the stitches and do a three needle bind off all the way down. And what that does is it gives you a nice stretchy edge to use for the top of the shoulder. So right now, that's pretty much what I use for just about every uh, seam. <laughs> when I do a baby surprise by Elizabeth Zimmerman, I do it that way too. Although I will occasionally do a crochet bind off if I'm very careful to make it loose. The thing is, it's hard for me to get a sewn seam as flexible as knitting, especially garter stitch or a really stretchy 
uh, stitches like that. And so I, I really prefer to do a garment, garment as seamlessly as seamlessly as possible. So this sweater, basically, um, I sat down with my notebook and let me get my notebook. I'll tell you. And I forgot to say when I started it, I keep telling myself next sweater, I will tell, write myself down when I start and when I finish and that way I will know how long it takes me, but I didn't do it. Um, I think it was about a month. It could have been five, six weeks. So that sounds about right for me. So basically, um, I start and I would scan these pages, but I, I, my scanner, I lost the cable to it. Isn't that stupid? So I need to either decide to uh, get a new cable or give up on scanning things for a while. But I have photographed the final uh, diagram that I made before I blocked. So basically, I write down, you know, where the pattern is I'm going to use the stitch pattern. Uh, the kind of yarn I'm using, how many skeins I start out with. Because a lot of times you get done and you say, well, I've got one say nearly two skeins of yarn left, but that doesn't actually tell me how many skeins I used because I'm never bright enough to actually keep the dang ball bands or keep track. So uh, fortunately, I did manage to write down that I had eight skeins and I have one whole skein and most of a second skein left over. If I hadn't had a, the seventh skein, I maybe could have gotten away with just pulling out the gauge swatch which I've done before and actually I left this time I left the gauge swatch without any ends tucked in so it would be easier to pull out if I needed it but I had fortunately I had tons and tons of yarn left over so now I have to decide what I'm going to do with that but I think I might just stick it back in the stash and let it marinate for a while I write down which size needles I'm using which actually is, is harder to remember than you'd think if you put something down for a while and then I even wrote down what I did for the gauge swatch. And for the gauge swatch, I cast on 36 inches and did eight rows of moss stitch and then switched to number sevens and worked dragon skin with five stitches of moss on each side. This is mostly because I wanted to make sure that the moss stitch would look good with the dragon skin. And it does. I love it. And then I uh, soaked it and blocked it to lie flat. And this pattern uses increases and decreases to make its magic and what that means is that your your fabric kind of puckers a little bit like an unblocked lace when you're knitting it and the one thing I should have done I didn't do is measure the swatch before I blocked it and then after because then as I was going I could have measured the unblocked sweater to make sure that it was really coming out the right size instead what I would do is just kind of pull it on and kind of pull on it <laughs> until it looked flat and um uh figure that meant that it was okay and it always it always looked okay i mean it looked like it was going to be maybe a little bit snug but that's okay this, this is a sweater that i wanted to fit let's say in a body conscious way um to show off my cool belly dancing figure <laughs> i've been belly dancing now for just over a year and i weigh the same in fact i weigh exactly the same as I did a year ago, um, which is about, it's not that much, it's about 10 pounds more than I weighed when I was an athlete in high school. Um, but of course, I'm not 16 anymore, so it looks a little bit different than it did when I was 16. Um, and now that I have been getting regular exercise that's very muscle intensive, um, my shape looks a lot better. So I'm. this was a very intentional sweater for that. Anyway, <laughs> a little segue. Um, and then basically the way that I block 
things that I want to be straight is I take TIG welding wire, which you can get very expensive, inexpensively at just about any welding supply or even a large hardware store. I haven't tried Home Depot. They might have it. They might not. It, I don't know. But basically what I did was when I, f I read online, somewhere said that she was using that. And I went to the, it was a welding, it was actually a welding store in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I said, I need TIG welding wire. I did not even know what it looked like. It basically comes in, in about three feet long and it's, it's, it's quite thin. It's about as thick as maybe your very finest knitting needle. And it's just blunt on the ends. And the woman who said that she used it for blocking said that she had her husband grind down the ends to make for a nicer kind of point. But I haven't done that. I just try to be careful not to stab the yarn too bad with the edges. And I've used it for just about everything now for, well, let's see if I was living in Tulsa that summer. It had to be 90, 97 or 98, so almost 10 years. And I just love them. Um, they're very, very cheap and you can get as many as you like. They're about three feet long and they make they're wonderful because they're flexible, so you can bend them if you want to, but you don't have to. And even if you do end up using pins to hold something out, then you don't need as many. Like you might need to put one on each end and then one every six inches or so. To, and it gives you a really nice edge. So I just love mine. And so for this, that since this pattern curls so much, because it's basically stockinette stitch with increases and decreases, um, then I, uh, I I blocked it using the wires, four wires, and I blocked it kind of severely because I wanted it to lie perfectly flat. Although in the final sweater, I had a little bit more ease than I thought because I had to use stockinette panels in the sweater too because there were points when the uh, stitches, I didn't have enough stitches to make a whole repeat because the pattern is basically 26 stitches across, which is quite a lot. And so I had those stockinette panels and the stockinette had a looser gauge than the pattern did. And so in the end, I, I left it a little bit more loosely blocked. I basically just, you'll see, I'll put photos on the website, but basically I did put a wire on each front of the cardigan. So one on the left, one on the right. And then I used a third wire to actually bring the two sides together. Just loosely, just kind of wove it through um, two or three places. And made sure that, that everything else, I was going to maybe maybe put wires through the bottom hems and the hems on the sleeves, and I just couldn't do it. I, I looked at it, and I'd used a sewn bind-off, which is actually one of my favorite bind-offs, and it just wasn't conducive to me sticking pins, wires through it. And so I just pressed it gently with my hands and tugged on it until it looked pretty straight. And I'm happy with the way it looks. I, I think it looks really nice. So also, if you look at the pictures, you'll notice that I didn't put any buttons or buttonholes on the sweater. I wanted a kind of um, Nordic feeling for the sweater, and so I'm just going to buy a small pewter or silver clasp at the at the yarn shop and use those. Or I might, I don't know. I think that is what I'm going to do. I think I'm just going to have one little little thing. I haven't decided where it will go, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll get to that. So basically, then I just took the waist shaping principle. I took my one of my old blue sweaters from last year out, and I just measured it very carefully. 
And this is a great way to find the fit for things is you have a garment that you like that has about the same thickness of fabric as the garment that you're going to make and you just measure. And I just drew myself a little diagram about how um, deep it should be. And like, for instance, my waist shaping is um, right after the armpits, four inches later, it should be um, four inches thinner. And then it comes out again. And then I have vents on the bottom. But basically, that's um, what I did. I, As I went, I would um, do in my ends, uh, maybe not all at once, but every once in a while. And what I like to do for top-down sweaters is work until um, I get to where the sleeves separate from the body. And then I work one sleeve, and then I work the second sleeve, and then I work the body. And I just find that's a little bit less... What's the word I want to use? I don't want to be hauling around a whole sweater while I'm knitting the sleeve. It's awkward, and also I feel like it messes with my gauge. And so that's the order that I do. When I'm doing bottom-up sweaters, obviously you do everything up until everything gets united, and then you unite them, and then you've got just this you know, the big thing flopping around. And I just, that's just what I do. The only exception is if I'm doing a small baby sweater, I'll just knit it in whatever order I feel like. I don't really um, care too much because it's such a smaller garment. There isn't as much weight involved. I just don't like the idea of hauling around maybe almost a pound of yarn on, on my, on my needles as I'm trying to make a sleeve. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. So I, uh, that's what I do. Um, I tend to plan my garments so that, so that they don't have too many um, seams. But when I am knitting from a pattern and I don't want to alter it to make it in the round, or if it's something that I don't think will work in the round, like I'm going to make a shrug soon, and, and I haven't decided if I'm going to follow the pattern or if I'm going to just make it up. But I have a pattern, and I think it looks pretty cute, so I might just try it. Um, then I do either a crocheted, uh, seam or the cast off, I mean the picked up and the three needle bind off um, seam which I really like I think it it's very stretchy and as long as you like the look of the three needle bind off it looks great and so um, that's that also I wanted to tell you today about film and fiber it's a new podcast although it's not as new now as it was <laughs> when I last meant to talk about it but um, it's fantastic I I don't remember. I'm sorry, the name of the girl who does it. Actually, let me look it up. I feel bad, I have to say. Okay, Lala, I'm opening iTunes. Oh, but also, okay, so lastly, so you finish the sweater, and then I actually um, fill my washing machine with the smallest amount of water that it will go and stop the washer and then dump my sweater in there for a good 15 to 20 minutes to let it get good and wet. And then I kind of gently pull it out, um, lifting it from the bottom to support its weight so that it doesn't stretch and um, kind of drain it as well as I can with my hands and then wrap it up in a towel and uh, empty the washing machine and then put the washing machine on the spin cycle, just the spin cycle, and put the, uh, the sweater in one side of the washer and the towel I had it in on the other side just to try to reduce the amount of banging around that will happen and run it through one entire spin cycle and what this does is it mostly 
wrings the water out. Now it may seem a little silly to soak the thing and then wring it out, but that's what I do and it works really well for me. And I live in a relative, in the winter, this is, this is a very dry climate. And so I could probably even not wring it out, <laughs> but I'm kind of impatient. I don't like uh, dealing with uh, wet wool for very long. So I, I like to wring it out. And then I lay it out on a towel. And um, in this case, I put my welding wires through two, through the two front parts of the cardigan and just gently, I'm sorry, smoothed everything down. And also, and I will put a picture of this up, I draw a diagram of the sizes of the different parts of the sweater. The length of the sleeve, the thickness of the sleeve at the top and at the bottom of the sleeve, the length of the un distance of the sweater from the underarm to the hem, the width of the hem, the width of the underarm, the width in the middle of the waist shaping, how far down the waist shaping is from the underarm. You get it. I mean, just a general schematic. Um, on this particular sweater, I didn't worry too much about the depth of the yoke to the underarms or the uh, neck. I just felt like I would just make it so that it looked good to me and leave it at that. This is why it's so nice when you have a pattern that it should have a diagram like this too that tells you how long everything should be. Not just the final size of the chest, but everything. And that's why I love a good pattern book that has that because then you can really see not just where you might want to alter the pattern to fit you more properly, but also when you're blocking it to make sure that you can get the sleeves the right length and yada yada. So I get it, I get it all out on the towel and I get my diagram and I get a measuring tape. I know I should use a yardstick, but I just don't have one. So, and then I measure, I kind of pat it out until it looks right. And then I measure everything. I measure to make sure that the sleeves are the same length. I measure to make sure that the it's the length it needs to be. I measure to make sure the waist is the width it needs to be and the hem and so on and so on. And that way you just make sure that everything is really the way you want it to be. And um, that's, that's what I do. And I leave it alone. Um, I actually close the door to whatever room I've done it in because I have a cat who likes to eat yarn including sweaters, especially if they are wet. I don't know what it is with him. Wet wool, very attractive. I don't understand it, but I have to watch him very closely <laughs> when I'm uh, blocking a sweater. So uh, for some reason, if I'm wearing it, he's fine. But if it's just out, he'll, he'll, he's all over it. So I have to I have to watch those things really closely. So um, what was I saying? Oh, okay. So I get it all dried out. And usually in my climate in the winter, it takes about a day. In the summer, it could take two or three days, but that depends on if I have the air conditioning on, whatever. But I leave it probably longer than I really need to because I'm just a little cautious like that. In fact, it's probably done now, but I'm, I'm just going to leave it until tomorrow. Can you know, let it have a little rest after being tugged on. So remember when you're blocking that if something is coming out too long, then you should pull it wider and vice versa. And the problem is, if you think that you're going to get something longer just by blocking it, remember that it will have to be narrower and vice versa. To an extent, we'll, we'll forgive you small indiscrepancies. But if you're thinking of making a major change in the blocking, you might need to reconsider. Just just a warning. So Okay, so that's that. Um, also, well, I guess that's about it. Well, let's see. There was one more thing I kind of ran across when I was working on this sweater that I, I don't know if I've explained well on the show. 
And that's when, let me get to my, where I did it. When you're doing math to figure out how many increases or decreases you need to do, how many pickup stitches you need, how many whatever, I find it really helps, yeah, it really helps to actually write out what you need to do. Like say you need to put five, let's do an easy one. You need to put five decreases evenly spaced across 20 stitches. Okay, now if you write that out in a fraction, five into 20, then you can see that it's really one in every four. So either every fourth, um, yeah, so every fourth stitch needs to become, every fourth stitch needs to become three stitches instead of four. And I don't know, that doesn't really make lots of sense, but <laughs> basically an example like that seems a little silly, but if you have an odd number, an awkward number, then it can help you to write that out and you can see more clearly what you need to do. And also, don't be afraid to use um, the brute force method, as one of my uh, calculus professors said, where you just plug in numbers and see what happens. Like say, okay, what if I decreased every third stitch? How many decreases would that get me in this number of stitches? Okay, every fourth, every fifth, every sixth. And eventually, hopefully, you will find a solution that will work for you. And don't be afraid to round, round up or round down just a little bit. Um, just don't do anything too extreme. And always remember to write out what you do so that you can go back and check yourself later and if you make a mistake. So, okay, that was my little preachiness, <laughs> my math preachiness for today. Um, so I guess that that's it. Um, my, uh, I don't remember if you're supposed to talk about this, but my podcast anniversary is coming up in April. And I cannot even express how much this show has helped me in the last year with everything. I've really found the courage to complete um, sections of my life that really needed completing and to, to take stock of what I really want. And I don't know if I would have the clarity of vision that I have if it weren't uh, for doing this show. So it's also great that there are people out there who want to hear what I have to say. It really um, builds my confidence and I hope that it helps you too. Um, it's just wonderful. So, well, that's my, that's it, <laughs> I guess, for today. Um, I really am going to attempt to make these shows more regular. My work schedule should start to slow down a little bit now that we're through um, with high school basketball. So, um, yay. <laughs> I really enjoyed, enjoyed doing it this year, but it was, it was really, really stressful. <laughs> it was a lot of work and a lot of driving and a lot of travel. Um, I love dra travel. I love driving. I love my work, but sometimes I want a day or two at home. <laughs> so I, uh, hope hopefully I'll talk to you all soon. Thank you for a great year. And I look forward to, uh, talking to you some more. And don't forget, you can always take control of your knitting. Bye-bye. Shh, it's about to start. Has that plain stockinette knitting project you've been working on become so dull that you want to stab yourself in the eye with your own needles every time you look at it? 
Well, maybe I can suggest the perfect movie to see you through the agonizing throes of boring knitting. This is Holly, inviting you to check out the Film and Fiber podcast, where we'll talk about knitting, movies, and knitting while watching movies. Get your ticket at filmandfiber.com, because knitting is great, but knitting while watching a movie is even better.